0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the California edition of Radio Parallax. I say that because last week's edition was in St. Kitts and Nevis, of all places. Mr. McMillan elected to travel down to the Caribbean for a working vacation, I guess you might say, and I elected to join him. He is at this point fairly expert on the subject of the island of St. Kitts, while for my part I can report a familiarity with it, along with an acquaintance with St. Martin, and newfound knowledge about the eastern part of the island of Hispaniola, better known to you and I as the Dominican Republic. And in case you're wondering, the western part of the island of Hispaniola is Haiti. We'll talk a little bit about uh, the Caribbean before this program is out, and probably do it at some length in the weeks to come as we look back. As I reflect back on it, it was a little bit odd to fly from St. Martin, an island which is divided by two nations. The north half is basically considered an overseas territory of France, while the southern part of the island is considered an overseas part of the Netherlands which I think may be unique. I know that Hispaniola being divided into two independent nations is unique, although there are other islands in the world divided between two two political entities. New Guinea comes to mind. The eastern portion is Papua New Guinea. The western portion is known as the Irian Jaya, which is part of Indonesia, but actually only a small part of Indonesia, so it doesn't quite have the same status as the island of Hispaniola. I'm not sure what the deal is with Cyprus, Turkey invaded it several decades ago and claimed the northern half of it was, was a Turkish republic, which no one else recognizes. Alas, doing geography on the radio is a problem. So let us instead shift gears and start this program as we always like to do with On This Date in History. It was fun last week to be reporting on uh, historical events while at an old fort up on uh, the hillside in St. Kitts. Mr. McMillan reports that it was Brimstone Hill, which I would managed to forget in the last week. It remind me to tell you about a remarkable tale of forgetting before I forget. Anyway, our date in history is January 30th, and it's quite an eventful one, it turns out. On January 30th in 1649 in London, King Charles I was beheaded for the charge of treason. He thought that was a bit absurd. His opponents abolished the monarchy and Oliver Cromwell assumed control of the new English Commonwealth. But when Cromwell died, the monarchy was restored. And then Cromwell was convicted of treason. For good measure, they dug his body up and hanged it. I know, we've talked about how we're going to talk about Oliver Cromwell on the show and we will do that sometime in in the months to come. It was on January 30th in 1853 that President Andrew Jackson survived the first attempt against the life of a U.S. president when a deranged man fired two pistols at him. Luckily for Jackson, I believe both misfired. You know, we do want to thank you good people that send us uh, interesting tidbits, which as often as not do find their way into the program. I want to thank Barbara for her note of several weeks back which included some trivia that she thought we might find useful. And I think one item in particular will prove useful. The datum that President John Tyler has two living grandsons. Let's take a moment to dissect this one. John Tyler was our 10th president. He became the first vice president to assume the office of the presidency when the person elected at the top of the ticket, William Henry Harrison, died of pneumonia a month into his presidency, meaning that Tyler was president in 1841, having been born in 1790. How could this guy have two living grandsons? So we looked it up. Turns out Tyler had a son at age 63, which means that boy was born in 1853. He had a son at age 75, taking us to 1928. And indeed, that man at age 84 is still with us, and evidently so is his younger brother. Now, it's up to you to make money on this out of a bar bet. Where were we? January 30th, 1847. Yerba Buena, a California settlement of 200 people, gets a new name, San Francisco. January 30th, 1933, Adolf Hitler, leader of the National Socialist Workers Party, becomes Chancellor of Germany. That didn't work out so well. On a much happier note, on the very same day, here in the United States, with the stirring notes of the William Tell Overture and a shout of "Hi-yo, Silver, away!" the Lone Ranger debuts on Detroit's WXYZ. And although we are sorely tempted, we will resist the temptation to play for you those stirring. Bits of the William Tell Overture. Anyway, as noted, big date in history, January 30th, 1968, in a coordinated attack all across South Vietnam, communist forces launched the Tet Offensive. Dozens of cities, towns, and military bases, including the U.S. Embassy in Saigon, were attacked. The sheer size of the attack and its intensity shook the confidence of Americans who had been told that the Vietnam War would soon be over. And on January 30th of 1979, with the Shah gone, Iran's new civilian government announces that Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini is free to return from exile in France. I do want to mention that one of our Iranian correspondents, Sarah, who cuts both uh, my hair and Mr. McMillan's, informed me to my surprise uh, about a little tidbit regarding the Ayatollah Khomeini. While snipping my locks, Sarah informed me that the Ayatollah was considered quite a comedian in some circles. Only not a comedian in the sense of laughing with. He said it, she said that at one point someone brought over a copy of the Ayatollah's equivalent of Mao's Little Red Book, and in reading it, the people in her circle thought it was just an exercise in absurdity. Now, I can't verify this, but I do think she's a credible source. Uh, Sarah claimed that there's a passage famous, apparently, in Iran, where the Ayatollah outlines how if, during an earthquake, a man should, say, fall off a balcony and land on his aunt, after which the aunt should become pregnant, and and one does have to suspect at this point that the Ayatollah may have had some confusions about some of the actual mechanics involved in this process, that child born in this alliance would have to be considered a child of God. And legitimate, because after all, the whole thing took place during an earthquake, which was an act of God. If any of you listening out there are familiar with this passage in the works of the Ayatollah Khomeini, please clarify this matter by dropping us a line at info at radioparallax.com. And as a public service announcement here in America, we want to express our belief that I fell on my aunt during an earthquake may not, in fact, be inadequate defense in a paternity suit. But as always, please consult your lawyer. On this date in 1948, Mohandas, quote, Mahatma, unquote, Gandhi, leader of the Indian independent movement, was assassinated in New Delhi by a terrorist of a right-wing Hindu militia, who objected to Gandhi's tolerance for Muslims. Though he was struck down that day, Gandhi's persuasive methods of civil disobedience influenced leaders of civil rights movements around the world, and continue to do so. Our quote of the day is from Paul Thoreau, and somewhat appropriate for guys that were just uh, traveling about. It said Mr. Thoreau, "Travel is equal parts flight and pursuit." Our quip of the day comes from a tattoo on Stan Wawrinka who somewhat surprisingly won the Australian Open this week, defeating Rafael Nadal. And by the way, being apparently only the second guy, other than the Big Four, to win a Grand Slam uh, tournament in the last, I don't know, was it three, four years, Mr. McMillan? Probably a lot longer than that. Well, at any rate, I'm, I'm not a tennis fan, although Mr. McMillan is. And for your information, if the name isn't Federer, Nadal, Murray, or Djokovic, You probably didn't see it in the winner's circle. Back to Vavrinka's tattoo. He's taken a quote from Samuel Beckett and placed it somewhere on his body. I'm not sure where, but it is, Ever tried, ever failed, no matter. Try again, fail again. Fail better. I think that's pretty good. And Mr. Miller thinks that's on the inside of his forearm. And I think for this program, we shall combine our anecdote and joke sections and give you two of them. Both come from the Dominican Republic. The first, which leans toward a joke, comes from my waitress at the Hotel Chino in the town of Semana on the Samana Peninsula, from which one can whale watch in the northern part of the Dominican Republic. And I guess I have to add a little bit of anecdote to put this in context there are two main tourist areas in the Dominican Republic. The older one is in the northern part of the island, off the Samana Peninsula, which goes back many years and is famous for good water and excellent windsurfing and also kite surfing. This area has gone a bit into eclipse as the Dominican government has spent a lot of money in the southeastern part of the island, which may have the very best beaches of all. And, uh, Packet full of these Club Med style um, all inclusive resorts, which uh, provide the uh, holiday goer with a bit of insulation against the realities of Dominican life. There are apparently hundreds of these areas in the southeast. This correspondent elected to return home from Punta Cana, thinking it would be the most comfortable area for which to rest up before the long journey home. Turned out it was a pain in the butt, however, to get from St. Martin, where I wanted to go spend one night, and get to Punta Cana. There were no direct flights. You had to basically fly back to Miami or somewhere else in the United States and then back to Punta Cana. So to avoid that foolishness, I flew to Santo Domingo, which is a couple of hours away from either tourist location. But after jumping in a rental car and driving a couple of hours up to Samana and unfortunately getting lost along the way, which delayed my journey an hour, hour and a half, I got there after dark with no hotel reservations, figuring, how hard could this be to find a hotel? This is a major tourist area. Well, it turned out to be a lot harder than I thought. And thanks to the delay in the Dominican Republic, I got there after dark. And all of this, by the way, I think is worth a digression as we're leading up to this joke-slash-anecdote. And it certainly reminds one what the independent traveler might encounter in a place like the Dominican Republic. Spotting what appeared to be a large hotel on a splendid location overlooking the bay, I pulled in and asked people in a restaurant, is, is that a hotel? I was told, no. The correct answer was yes. After spying a number of really dodgy looking hotels near the center of town, I finally made my way up to that uh, gleaming palace on the hillside to find that they had no rooms. Now, I had two hotel names out of the Lonely Planet Guide, which seemed respectable enough, but... <laughs> Damn if I could find them, and damn if there were any signs directing me to them. So after driving back down into town and finding a another guy working in a pizza joint who was very friendly, he assured me that the hotel travel lodge was just, you know, a, a, a few hundred meters away. He even got out his I, he even got out a smartphone with his GPS to show me a map of where it had to be, although I... Had to advise him that I'd just been driving in that area several times and did not see any such hotel. He more or less said, well, it has to be there. And he may be right about that, but damn if I could find it. Despite repeatedly pulling over, asking people about the whereabouts of the hotel, which had to be within a couple blocks, and getting nothing but blank looks. After getting a bit despondent at the prospect of having to stay in a rather uh, dodgy hotel, I glanced up to see up on the hillside above the town a gleaming white edifice that said the Hotel Chino with a beautiful white fence around it which said that uh, the security probably had to be good up there, and it just looked like a brighter, cheerier place to stay. When the proprietor informed me that they, yes, indeed, had a room for me, I felt as though a great load came off my shoulders. Even though the hotel didn't take credit cards, I had to whip out my Last $100 bill, kept in reserve for moments just like this. At any rate, after checking in, getting settled, I went down to the restaurant, which was still open, to enjoy a meal. When the waitress came, I asked what kind of beers she had. She informed me that they only had El Presidente. I'll have one of those, I said. (laughs) What size, she asked me in Spanish. Well, how large is the large, I asked. I expected an answer to be in ounces or liters or some sort of definable quantity. But I'm pretty sure she didn't know how many ounces or liters were in either one of the bottles. So she looked at me and said, well, it's not as big as this. Indicating with her hands a beer bottle about two feet high. Where it struck me as pretty damn funny. And naturally caused me to order one. Which leads to a nice segue after all that, to uh, story number two, which starts with the American couple that were sitting at the next table as I was ordering the beer. I asked Jim and Dorinda if they were going to be doing some whale watching, and they said yes, in fact, they were, and they had the best boat, they thought, uh, of the many, booked for the next day. I said, great, I want to go with you guys, and after Jim thoughtfully sent an email to the company, they said, looks like there's room, and I was set. Hopefully, we'll tell you more about that in our second segment. But anecdote slash joke number two comes from a conversation between this couple from Indiana. Now, I had observed some older gentlemen, shall we say, men in their 60s, Spanish, I believe, in origin, hang out with some of the local gals who appeared to be somewhat younger, as in 40 or 50 years younger. Dorinda made the comment that She thought this whole thing of these foreign guys coming down here and hanging out with these young Dominican girls was pretty disgusting. This caused Jim to pause, reflect, and say, Aw, honey, maybe they're in love. All right, we need do our stat of the day, which is that for the first time ever, most members of Congress are millionaires, according to a new report from the Center for Responsive Politics. At least 268 of the 534 current members of Congress have an average net worth of a million dollars or more. All right, uh, we have we've neglected Will Durst a bit in the last few weeks, but we will not do so today. Let's check in with America's foremost political comic.
1: Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few choice words about the good, the bad, and the ugly of progress. Now don't get me wrong, this is no sepia-toned love letter to a romantically imagined yesteryear. The past sucked. Society was slow and boring, and today it's all about speed. Kids are streaming Hulu in the womb. But has anybody considered that we might be focusing too much on the new rather than fine-tuning the tried and true? For instance, GPS units. Used to be only NASA had them. Now, I have two. One in my car and one on my phone. And both insist on steering me over cliffs or into oncoming traffic. Some things didn't really need fixing, such as toilets and public restrooms. How many times have you been startled by a presumptuous automatic flush? What was wrong with the big chrome toggle on the side? You could use your foot. Seems much more sanitary than an unrequested butt douche. Wash basins... Who among us hasn't ended up shuffling from sink to sink, waving our hands like a crazy person shooing away gnats under, over, near the faucet, trying to find one calibrated for our correct height that activates the unseen electric eye? The faucets that do have handles require engineering degrees from MIT to figure out. Most of us pine for the old hot-on-the-left, cold-on-the-right days. And don't forget the new hand dryers, powered by small jet engines, which replaced the automatic paper towel dispensers that were triggered by shoulder and elbow movements 30 feet away. Television, do we really need 800 channels? At least half of them are selling some home gym, juicer, skin moisturizer that grows hair and cleans your pet while the pounds melt away. Besides, by the time you've gone around the horn and sculpted out what you want to watch it's over. And zombies. Whose idea was it to invent fast, smart zombies? Aren't zombies supposed to trudge and meander? I miss slow, dim zombies. Of course, we still have the Republican Party for that. Sorry, couldn't resist. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst.
0: And we'll mention the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we need to do that. But I think we're going to take a break and do that in our second segment. You're listening to Radio Parallax, I'm Douglas Everett.
1: In this time, give it to me easy. And let me try with pleasured hands to take you in the sound. Is he rich like me? Has Has he 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 taken
0: us any time?